and welcome to the Interchange podcast, produced in association with me, Io Abbas. Interchange is a show where we delve into talking about integrated transport infrastructure as the solution to achieving a more effective and decarbonised transport network. We're very pleased to introduce our first guest, who is Ben Plowden from PA Consulting. He's also an associate at LSC Cities and a visiting professor at the UCL Centre for Transport Studies. He's also recently become the chair of the Transport Planning Society. Prior to joining PA, Ben spent 20 years in a number of senior transport planning roles and project sponsorship roles at TFL. And in this episode, we look at the need for customer centricity, the systems and systems within systems we need to create to to achieve more integrated infrastructure. And we also talk about ideas on how we can break out of the current silo mentality that exists in terms of transport planning, delivery and operation. Enjoy the show. Hi, Ben. Thanks so much uh, for being our first guest uh, on the Interchange podcast and coming onto the show. I guess we want to start with what does integrated transport infrastructure mean to you and also why you think it's important? So I think when we're thinking about transport, the transport system, uh, we need to start from the point of view of the user, right? So what what do transport users want? They want uh, the transport system to be easy to understand, easy to use, accessible, integrated, and we'll perhaps come back to that, uh, affordable, Um, And so we need to think about uh, how we plan, design and operate our transport system with the end user in mind, whether that's an individual going about their daily business uh, or a freight company trying to get something to a customer. And so I think we need to think, first of all, about uh, integrating our transport infrastructure so that uh, the different infrastructures that make up the transport system are literally properly connected together give you an obvious example so that if you're building a new bus station you want to make sure your bus station is on top of or adjacent to your next door to your railway station so that if you're a customer you come off the train and the bus is right there or vice versa you come off the bus the train is right there um so i think that's really really important and i also think it's important to think about integration in a number of other dimensions as well so for example it's critically important to integrate uh what transport geeks call transport planning and land use planning i.e is our spatial development is where we're putting our new developments linked to our transport system so if you build a housing estate in the middle of nowhere with no bus service uh with no capacity to walk or cycle for local journeys um it's not surprising that people who move into the housing estate will buy and use a car because that's essentially the only choice basically to meet their daily needs right yeah so so we have to think about how integrated the design of our communities are in terms of local access to good services and opportunities and then to make sure that our transport system is connected to those developments existing towns and cities uh, and also new towns and cities or new developments so that people have a meaningful range of transport choices uh, that sometimes they can do stuff locally uh, on foot or by bicycle but if they need to travel further afield they need to be able to do that in a variety of different ways and obviously preferably the more sustainably the better 
So that's one really important thing. We also need to think about integrating transport with other sectors. So particularly energy, which I know is one of the strands of the infrastructure uh, of the interchange event. If we're going to decarbonize transport and move to more electric fleet or indeed hydrogen fleet, we have to think about how the transport system and the infrastructure relates to the energy infrastructure so that you've got sufficient capacity on the grid to put charge points onto the system uh, or you have your hydrogen sources in a place which makes sense to uh, to fuel hydrogen powered vehicles. Um, but that's also true with health, uh, with education, so that we're thinking about the transport implications of our energy, of our trans of our ed education decisions, and vice versa, so that we're not sort of doing things in education that create perverse outcomes for transport. Um, that that requires integration between different government policies, so that you're thinking about these policies in the round, uh, which obviously requires good working relationships between government departments. And then finally, I think you need to think about integration between different tiers of government, so national, regional, city regional, and local, so that you've got a really clear line of sight between your national policy goals, what's most sensibly done at a regional or city regional level, and what's most sensibly done locally. So if you could if you could integrate now, that's quite a significant challenge, right? Integrating across all it's quite a big challenge. Yeah. Yeah. But but what's interesting, I, mean, I spent 20 years or so working at Transport for London, and um, I think London as a city, as a kind of set of institutions, comes as close as I know to having the capabilities of planning, delivering and operating transport in the way that I've just described. So there's a, there's a spatial plan for London, the London plan, that the mayor needs to produce, that needs by law to be uh, consistent with the transport plan for London, which he also produces, the Mayor's Transport Strategy. Um, the local authorities need to have plans and policies that are themselves integrated with the regional plans. Um, and of course, you have a single organisation in TfL which plans transport infrastructure, basically operates or manages the operation of all the transport in the city. Uh, and it's not surprising that in London, it's been possible to achieve a mode shift away from private car use towards walking, cycling, public transport in a way that's been supportive of a, a growing economy, growing population, improved quality of life. So you can create environments in which people can make different transport choices um, that produce better and more sustainable outcomes. But you do need to create the ability to do that, all that integration that we've just talked about. So I guess looking at that kind of, I guess it's a bigger systemic view, isn't it, of, of getting integration across across the kind of, I guess it's across, across society, isn't it? It's, it's a much yeah. bigger thing. I mean, so in terms of kind of large scale projects and being able to, able to take that kind of systematic approach, what do you think is, where do you think we are in terms of, a you know, being able to achieve that? <laughs> well, we're obviously at a very specific point in the political and economic cycle aren't we right we've got an election coming up almost certainly Whenever. in the next 12 months we've yeah. got significant pressure on the public finances we've got many thousands if not millions of households struggling with the cost of living crisis so so these are these are challenging times i think and i think they're challenging partly because doing difficult things in transport building major projects um changing the set of transport choices available to people so they can make different choices takes time and uh you know london again i don't i don't want to obsess about london but london's been doing the things it's been doing for 20 years since the creation of the elected elected mayor back in 2000 and and you know, you're talking about those sorts of timeframes to achieve these really big changes in how, how the transport system operates and what, what people choose to do. And so the challenge there, I think, is how you create and maintain kind of political consensus 
across time and across different institutions. Um, and that can be difficult to do, right? So uh, we've seen recently in Cambridgeshire with, with the, the difficulties around their proposed congestion charging scheme, other parts of the country where the consensus has been created across different tiers of government, different organisations, but then has 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 gradually broken down. So I think one of the really interesting and, and, and difficult challenges, how do you create and then maintain that kind of long-term consensus over the kind of transport system you're trying to create and the outcomes you're trying to achieve so that you can people can predictably do what they need to do over the extended period with, with reduced levels of risk and uncertainty that obviously can be really problematic for certainly for big infrastructure projects. Yeah, and that's the thing. It is that longer term thing, isn't it? I think yeah. I've been to some talks where, you know, you, you know, we've got some of the councils looking at like two year funding cycles. It's so yeah. short that it's like, how do you actually commit to that? It's you're just like you can't plan for that. You know, no. once you've started, your funding's not there and then you can't get a team on. You know, it just makes it a lot more difficult. Isn't it? Well, and what that does amongst that creates a high level of risk, which increases costs because everyone's trying to price in risk uh you know it so it, it's it, it, it's really important i think to to try and kind of develop a almost a kind of decision making culture where you're and again it's very difficult to do this in practice where you are able to make long term plans and long term decisions and it can be done uh it just is quite difficult i think um uh in the current climate so in terms of how it can be done, which takes me on to my next question, it's quite handy. So what kind of enablers or blockers do you think? So I know we've got some of the kind of how we're set up at the moment, which is quite fragmented. So what things do you think could enable us to take more of this kind of longer term view? Well, I think one really fundamental blocker is uh, the fact that in my view, human beings are innately inclined to create and maintain what people call silos. Um, if you look at the psychological literature, if you look at the anthropological literature, human beings are sort of almost wired to create us and them. You know, I'm in this government department, they're in that government department. I work in national government, they work in local government. I'm in marketing, they're in engineering. Yeah. <laughs> and so I think that, uh, and so what happens is because we have this kind of innate tendency to think in, the, in that way, we then give that thinking a name you're in this department they're in that department you're in this organization you're in that organization so i think we have to recognize that that we are will probably fall into silos unless we're very careful um, and then create institutional structures processes cultures that break down as far as possible the barriers between different silos um and, and again that can be difficult to do but but i think being alert to the fact that we probably will you know, end up identifying with my group as opposed to their group uh, is, is is quite, I think, is quite a basic thing that human beings do. Um, so the enablers, I say, is to kind of create organisations that make that less likely, create processes and spaces that people work together, um, you know, where you, you you reward your collaborators, you identify your collaborators and get them to, 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 to lead those sorts of processes. Um, I think a second blocker is... Uh, an occasional tendency to see transport as a technical issue primarily you know modeling forecasting technical design <laughs> well that's what i do It'll be like, yeah. Well, yeah sure and it's critical and, and that phenomenal <laughs> technical skills in the industry right but 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 ultimately a lot of what we need to decide to do in, in transport is political it's about priorities where are we going to spend our money who gets priority on the network What's it going to cost? How easy should it be? How difficult should it be? And so I think making sure that that 
people involved in the process of planning, delivering, and operating transport are aware of the fact that in the end, a lot of it will come down to both big and small P politics is really, really important. So the business case is, you know, unarguable. Yeah, it might be, but the mayor doesn't want it, you know, or the mayor does want it. So, you know, uh, yeah. so I think being really, really explicit about that, I think the kind of, almost the kind of human factors part of a bit like the silos point of the human factors of what is otherwise a very complex technical question, I think is really important. For a technical specialist, for example, is there something that they could do to be more aware? Or, you know, like, is there any advice on that side? Because I know what you mean. I've worked with those types of people. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, I I teach on uh, the the MSc programme at UCL, and um, a lot of the grads on that programme are highly technical. They're mathematicians, they're engineers, um, they're statisticians, uh, and who are sort of moving transport planning and, and I always str- emphasize in whenever I'm lecturing you know in the end a lot of the things that you are supporting will be politically determined so you almost need to sort of train people I think I- including in the p- professional dis- the technical disciplines to to understand that they will ultimately be working in a political context and when things happen that surprise them from a technical point of view that's not because the technical work wasn't good it's just that the decision was taken for political for a reason. reason yeah, yeah exactly um, so you sort of need really, really good technical inputs as a sort of necessary condition for getting the right outcomes. But but I think a sufficient condition is actually to have that awareness of the political context in which these decisions are almost certainly going to be made. Um, um, and then the third thing I'd say is, you know, as we were just discussing, because the difficult stuff takes time to do, big projects, uh, enabling changes in the pattern of how people travel, how people choose to travel. It's trying to be as clear as possible about how to both create and maintain consensus over over quite extended periods. And again, easy to say, in practice, can be very difficult to do, uh, not least because of the second point I made, which is about the politics of all this. So, so, but I think recognising that decisions, you know, commitments and the delivery of commitments can take quite a long time to do. Uh, and therefore working really, really hard to make sure that you're maintaining the consensus that you've built up, I think is really, really important. And that's a really great point. So I think as well, that whole thing of keeping people, kind of keeping the, keeping the people involved who are delivering these projects aware of the wider the, the wider context is so important because it's like, this is what you're feeding on into and this is why we need to do it in this particular way. Because it's yeah. just being able to negotiate, I guess, get, yeah. navigate that and keep going and not give up because of it, isn't it? Yeah, it's yeah, absolutely. That's yeah. brilliant. Okay, and also, so is, we've talked about the political side. Now, is there a way mm. that the private sector can kind of do more to make things happen in terms of delivering kind of wider infrastructure and interchange and integration? Yeah, I, I think so. I mean, I think the private sector has a critical role to play, obviously, in, in both delivering and uh, operating transport. Um, they have key skills and capabilities to bring to bear to these processes, and there needs to be a really strong and, and positive relationship between public and private sectors. And again, if you, I mean, again, without obsessing about London, if you look at the London model, um, all the public transport in London, apart from the underground, is provided by private operators under various forms of contracts and concessions. So the buses, Crossrail, London Overground, the DLR, um, but their services are provided by private companies within a, a policy and regulatory and operational framework defined by the public sector, in this case, the Mayor and Transport for London. So Transport for London specifies what services the bus companies need to provide and the companies then bid to operate those services and then make a profit in doing so. So, so 
that's a really good example of, and that's what the franchising model will be in cities like Manchester who are now taking that approach as well. Uh, that's a really good example of a really good, I think, working partnership between the two sectors bringing, bringing their respective skills and, and priorities to bear. The same is true, obviously, in infrastructure delivery. It's all, almost always done by private contractors, but they're delivering projects that are designed to be, you know, for the public good, in the, for the public purpose. Um, and they will obviously bring their skills, uh, delivery skills and commercial skills to bear on that process. And there's obviously there's a huge amount of innovation going on in the private sector as well. So a really good example of where that works is, is what's called the London Data Store, where TfL puts all its operational data into basically a data store where it's then pulled on by app developers to produce CityMapper, all the other apps that people use. So they're, they're basically using public data to produce apps which customers can then use. And that, again, is a really good example of using public resources coupled with private sector innovation to, to give customers really powerful tools that they use uh, in, in making everyday journeys. Um, so I think that that partnership uh, where the two sectors bring their respective skills and priorities to bear is really important. But it's not just the private sector. Clearly, um, there are the universities uh, involved with huge knowledge and, and expertise in, in, in all these issues. There's the voluntary sector, the NGOs, um, who I think are really important. There are community organisations. And as you said a minute ago, sort of making sure that, to use a horror, sort of cliche phrase, all the key stakeholders are properly engaged in the process of thinking about what transport system we need and how to produce it and how to operate it, um, I think is really, really important. Yeah, I think it's, it's breaking the silos, isn't it? As much as you can. People yeah. are just very focused. This is what I do. And it's it's just like yeah. you can see where it's going wrong. It's like, well, actually, if we're doing this, we do it together, we'll make Indeed. it better for the people. And I, I think that's the bit that's missing. Yeah, and, and I, I guess my point there would be that when I started, if you, if you work back from the outcomes you want from your customers – they don't care who's in charge of Whitbit or who paid for it. They want to know that when they set off, they're going to make a seamless, integrated, affordable, accessible journey from where they are to where they want to go, right? So, uh, and so you need to work back. So, how do we? How do the various actors involved give customers that experience? So, you, just on that, do you think that we're actually geared up enough towards thinking about customers? You know, like because they are our ultimate thing, are we? Um. Not always, I think it'd be fair to say. And I think that, um, uh, it, you know, you will probably view the world through the prism of your role or your organisation, right? So uh, it can be quite difficult um, sometimes to work back and say, but who is, what is, what, who is, who's this ultimately for the thing I'm doing? And what do they want? And how much do I know about what they want and need? Um, so I think sort of, making all the people involved in this process aware of ultimately what what we want for customers and end users is really, really important. And that can be quite difficult to do if you're buried, you know, if you're deeply involved in some technical function in a infrastructure delivery organization, you probably feel quite a long way from somebody trying to get their kids to school, right? So so I think trying to work out how to how to sort of bring that awareness inside the organization is doing this amazing stuff in terms of transport infrastructure operations is, is really really important as far as we can it's the human side isn't it it's the human yeah. side of the people who are going to be using it isn't it yeah. how do you do that so exactly. just, yeah it makes your decisions yeah. i guess it helps you and um just uh, reflecting on your role in the kind of transport planning society as chair so how important is it to you that we kind of develop a more integrated approach to infrastructure delivery in the planning profession i think it's absolutely critical um because 
if you do are able to develop an integrated approach to planning, delivering operations to transport, you will just get better outcomes for individuals using the system, for society as a whole. You know, if we want to decarbonize transport, which we emphatically must look look around you all over the world, the, the signs of the climate emergency are already upon us. We have to create the kind of system that will enable people to make decarbonized journeys. Um, you know, increasing, you know, do more locally if they can to access good services and opportunities. Um, when they do need to travel longer distances, do that in a way which has minimal zero carbon emissions. Um, and it's it's very hard to imagine how you can create that system in a way which is not integrated from planning right the way through to delivery and operation. Um, and again, you know, it, it, it can be done. Um, it, it requires, I think, um, thinking very carefully about the kind of institutional arrangements around your transport system. What do I mean by that? If you have a decision-making process that is fragmented, uh, where you've got multiple decision makers with competing priorities, um, where the organisations that you're working with are not sort of, don't think in a plan integrated way, it's much more difficult to provide integrated system. So I think that's why a lot of thought is going into, for example, the new city regions, what kind of organisations they need to be to plan, deliver and operate integrated transport for their communities. Um, so I think it's very important to think again, to think about sort of what is the system that you're using to provide your transport system and how well designed is that system? So it's not the transport system itself, it's actually the organisations that are responsible for planning, delivering and operating the transport system. And the more integrated they are, the more they think from a customer focus, the more they think as a, as a single entity, the more likely the you better. are to get a better outcome. Yeah. Okay, so my final question for you is, in the ideal world, what would you see integrated transport infrastructure looking like by 2035? I don't know that's far enough, but you know. Yeah, well, no, we, we, we well, to say nothing else, we need to be well on the way to decarbonising by then, don't we? Uh, all, all the evidence suggests. So I, I think I would, again, sort of work back from where I started. We need to think, what kind of society do we want to live in, right? Uh, what kind of society and economy do we want? How are we going to decarbonise? Um, what kind of places do we want to live, work and play in? Um, and that, by definition, needs to be a decarbonised society, because if not, we're in serious, serious trouble. It needs to be one that's tackled the kind of systemic inequalities between households and, and regions, the whole kind of levelling up agenda. It needs to be supporting sustainable social and economic development. So, so that's the outcome we want for society. What kind of transport system do we need to create that or bring about that kind of society. And it does need to be um, integrated in terms of planning. Uh, it needs to start from the user perspective. It needs to be accessible. It needs to be easy to understand and use. It needs to be affordable. Um, and so if we work back from those of the transport outputs we want, we then need to think about what kind of organizations do we need? What kind of planning process do we need to create the kind of system that will give us those kind of societal outcomes? And that's why I, I you know, I'm very interested in the sort of first question, you know, the issue around what are the institutions like that are doing this stuff and are they well designed and set up to do, to produce the transport system that will give us those sorts of um, positive societal outcomes. But but I think we do need to work back from the, the, the society we want, whether nationally or locally, to the transport system we need, to the processes and institutions we need to produce that system. And that's just a kind of macro version of starting with the user in mind. What does a citizen in 2035 will need and want from their transport system? How are we going to provide it for him or her? Um, and I think if you if you think about this as a system of systems, which is quite difficult to do, 
then you're much more likely to be able to produce the outcomes that you need for for everyone. Fantastic. Thanks so much for your time and for doing the interview. My pleasure. Thanks for listening to Interchange. And remember, it's not just a podcast. Interchange is much more. It's also a two-day major exhibition and conference taking place on February the 27th and 28th in Manchester Central. Head to www.interchange-uk.com to find out more.